Today's reading is from Matthew 4. We have verses 1 through 10. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry. During that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus said, No, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. They will hold you up with their hands. You won't even hurt your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, said Jesus. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest, head to the lobby. The rest of you can sit down. Well, now I have the privilege of introducing another friend of mine in the city of Long Beach. Noemi, why don't you come on up? Um, this is Noemi Chavez. She's no stranger to Grace. She has actually preached here before, but Noemi and her husband Joshua have been co-pastoring at Revived Church in Long Beach for about the last 15 years. And, um, yep, exactly. Uh, a great sister church of ours. Um, and when I asked her about, like, you know, how she would like me to set her up and give, you know, her amazing bio of being an international world, world-renowned speaker and all of those impressive things, she said, just tell them I'm a, I'm a parent of teenagers and I need prayer. So, <laughs> which is a fair bio, I do think. Um, let me pray for you as you come to give us God's word. Um, Father, we are grateful that you have blessed us with Noemi this morning, and I pray and allow that you would open her mouth to speak forth your truth, to speak forth your light, to challenge us with the word that you have brought to her. And we, in this moment, prepare ourselves to receive that. Your word cuts like a knife, and so we sort of lay ourselves out in, in anticipation that you might have something to say to us this morning, a word of challenge, a word of correction, a word of encouragement. Um, Give us ears to hear what it is that you have to say through your servant, Noemi, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, hello, Grace family. It's so good to be with you all again. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for your church for f- so many reasons. First of all, I'm grateful for, for Beth Balmer, who, who's become such a wonderful friend to me. And I think it's good for church members to know that pastors are friends and that we lean on each other. She knows probably way too much, but I find that she's trustworthy. <laughs> um, so I'm just grateful to, to get to be with you guys today. And today I actually wanted to speak on Jesus's temptations. Uh, I think that it's, it's wonderful to be able to follow a savior who models something so powerful to us 
because um, unfortunately we live in a broken world and we are humans who have human desires. And I think many of us here can admit that our human desires have led to some of our demise at times. But yet Jesus walks us through these three temptations that I feel in so many ways can uh, not only serve as a warning sign, but more so as a, an alert, like a red alert to our own weaknesses, the things that would drag us, the things that would hurt us. You know, the enemy's plan is not simply to take you down. Nobody's that important. The enemy's plan is to affect your spouse, your friends, your family, your parents, your, the people you work with. His plan is much bigger than, than, than just one individual. And so when we are aware of what our weaknesses are, when we are aware of the things that the enemy might have um, to lure us in, because that's what temptations are. Temptations are basically a lure that has been well prepared by the enemy, right? Like, what is the purpose of a lure when you go fishing? Like, I don't do fishing. I would like to go fishing someday. Um, I'm not opposed to new adventures, but a lure is designed um, to hook the fish. A lure makes it difficult to escape. And isn't that what sin does in our life? It'll draw us in, it'll hook us, but then it will also make it very challenging for us to loose ourselves once that metal has come and we've tasted its cold or rusty taste in our mouth and we realize this is not what I wanted. The enemy makes it very difficult for us to unhook ourselves. Um, but we're grateful for a savior who's unhooked us time and time again. Uh, for those of us who are willing to admit that we have bit the bait. But I love that Jesus actually models something for us. And today what I would like for us to do is to actually look at Jesus' temptations more so from not just these three temptations that seem so unique, right, and so different. I grew up in church, and when we would read these temptations, I really felt they were weird. <laughs> and borderline theatrical. Like I was like, wow, like this is so weird. Like turn the, turn the stone into bread. And I'd be like, yes, Jesus, you're hungry, do it. Like in my mind, I'd be like, why not? If you can do it and you're hungry, why not? Why not do what you have or what you can within your power to satisfy your own hunger? Why not? Why submit your needs to God when you could um, fulfill your own needs? Why not? And then I think about the temptation of Jesus standing on like the pinnacle of that temple and Satan saying, throw yourself down. And it seemed very theatrical to me as a young person, borderline like Cirque du Soleil kind of thing. Like what is going on here? Why is Satan telling Jesus to put on a show? And yet Jesus' response once again reminds us constantly God's word has an answer for everything that we would find the need to self-satisfy, anything we would find the need to seek for applause. And then the last temptation where we see um, Satan taking Jesus to oversee all of the kingdoms of the earth, all the power, all that is shiny, all that makes us feel accomplished. And he's like, Jesus, hey, how about you uh, skip the cross 
and I give you the kingdoms of the earth. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that I am following a savior that wasn't looking for the exit to simply be the ruler over my life, but more so to be the ruling king over my heart. He didn't simply want to be the king of kingdoms. He wanted to be the king of men and women who would invite him to be Lord of their lives as individuals. And so what we see here is three temptations, the temptation of appetite, the temptation for applause, and the temptation for power. When we look at Jesus' temptations from that angle, then we can now not look at this whole theatrical situation, but more so understand, how am I being tempted in the temptation of appetite? How am I being tempted in the temptation of applause? How am I being tempted in the temptation for power? The thing is that it looks completely different for each and every one of us. I love that Jesus was able to respond with scripture in every one of those instances. But I truly believe that at the root of every single temptation, if we look at every single temptation, at the root lies the question, is God enough? Is God enough for me? Is he enough? Not only is God enough, but, but does God know he's enough? Does he know that in my life, if I have the opportunity to satisfy my own needs and no longer submit to his plan, will I say I would rather be hungry and know that I am walking faithfully with God, or will I take advantage of the opportunity to do what is in my power for myself? Is my will submitted enough to say, Lord, you are enough? You are enough. You satisfy everything in my humanity. And I think that if we were to actually analyze the things that have a hold on our lives, the temptations that we might be dealing with in the physical, whether it's food, physical needs, emotional needs, touch needs, whatever it is that we feel, I, I know I don't have to wait on God for an answer for this. I don't have to submit my flesh, my desires, my humanity. You know, we live in a world that immediately encourages us to satisfy everything that we want. Right? Our eyes constantly are drawn to, to experiences, to, to, to whatever, whether it's food or places. We are constantly being drawn to things that would make us feel better about life. And so if it's within our power to make it happen, the answer is why not? Why must I wait on God for things? Why must I submit my cravings, my desires, my flesh? Why must I satisfy my own appetite for rage or anger? Why must I wait and submit my emotions to God? Why? I'm grateful that we follow a loving Savior who when we get introduced into this scene of Jesus' life, he's 30 years old, he's about to step into ministry here on earth. We don't know much about the first 30 years of his life, but here's what I do know, is that you don't go through a temptation that are, the, these temptations are, are specifically, specifically created by the enemy for Jesus, right? It, it, the purpose of these, of these temptations is for him to understand you don't have to suffer physically, right? You don't have to suffer physically. Um, 
you don't have to worry about the fickle behavior of humans because I'm gonna give you their applause through your submitting yourself to this challenge. And he's also saying, you don't have to pay the price of Calvary. So these three temptations are actually very much the same things Jesus would have to face on that holy week, right? That holy week that would lead him to the cross. You know what this tells me is that as Jesus is confronting the enemy and these temptations, we understand that there's been a life of 30 years of submission to the word of God. Jesus knew the word. He studied the Torah since he was a child. The word of God was, the word of his father was alive in him. So Jesus doesn't show up to the scene where the Bible of God says, the word of God says that the spirit leads them into these spaces. And you might think, God will lead us into spaces where we are tempted, where we are challenged in our faith? Yes, because temptations will teach us to trust God for his provision. They will teach us to trust God for his goodness and his faithfulness. They will teach us to believe that he is the one who provides, that he is the one who leads. And so here we find Jesus not showing up into the wilderness as somebody who has not already been walking with his father. It would be silly to think that he just came into the scene and that there's been no discipline in his life before. It would be as if I decided I'm showing up to the Olympics I suck at running, but I think I'd like to try the marathon this year. How silly would that be, right? Jesus doesn't show up into the scene without the preparation. You know, temptations are not necessarily the preparation for the next thing in your life. They are the proof of what God has already done in your life. Listen closely. Oftentimes we think, if I pass this test, if I don't fall into this temptation, then what God has for me is something even greater. Well, that may or may not be so. Temptations actually are the proof that God has given you all the material that you need to overcome every lie of the enemy. And what's amazing about the test of temptation in our lives is that we have with us the word of God, which is like an open book, open note test for us, right? Isn't that amazing that God is not like, well, you're going to have to try to remember. No, he's saying, you have all the notes. You have all the proof that I am with you. You have all that you need to know in order to pass this test. It is not a timed test. How many of you can thank God for that, right? He's not saying you better hurry up. He's saying process with me. Talk to me. Read my word. Hear my heart. Temptations lead us into spaces where we get to prove that the work of God in us is actually producing life in us. Life enough that, is, that it is worthy of our devotion, my friends. Life enough that we say, I want to lay down my own opportunities, my own desires, my own way to follow the way of the Father, to follow the way of Jesus. And what a gift it is, it is for us to be invited into that space with Christ. Because the question that we must ask ourselves is, am I going to satisfy my own needs and my own hunger? Will I edit the narrative of my life because I'm throwing a tantrum because I want this now? 
That's what we do with temptations. We'll find a way to, make clean it, to clean it up. I don't know about you, like we can be pretty good at this as human beings. Well, I wasn't actually sinning because what I was doing is, this is how I'm wired. We'll use really intelligent language to um, excuse the times that we will give in to our appetites, the times that we will uh, do things for the applause, and the times that we will strive to gain power. We will, we, will, we will use our grandparents. That's how my grandpa was. That's how my grandma was. That's how my parents are. This is who I am. We will use everything that we can to excuse what we need to, to get what we want and gain what we want. You know, the temptation of appetite will constantly leave us hungry. We will never be satisfied. And so we've got to be willing to say, God, if you are the one who satisfies my heart, if you are the one who satisfies my soul, then I need to be willing to do things that I haven't done before, whether it's time with the Lord, whether it's reaching out and being in a small group community. What are the things that God is going to use to satisfy all of you so that when you find yourself in moments where your appetite is being, the enemy is, is dangling a lure in front of you that you're saying, yeah, you know what, I don't need that anymore because I'm actually full of God and full of his joy and full of his peace. What do we do when we seek the applause of people? When we're willing to do things to get people to like us? I mean, that's not just something that happens in teenage years, my friends. We would think only teenagers are crazy enough to do really dumb things. No, I've been pastoring for over 16 years. I know a lot of adults who are willing to do some pretty silly things to get the applause, the likes, and to get the attention, the approval, to be asked to be a part, to be invited into the group, because we want to feel like we are, we, we, we are loved, we are valued. But when you know that the creator of the heavens and the earth loves you, when you know that God longs for deep, meaningful relationship with you, when you know that he has created space at the table for you, when you know that he sees you, he sees your brokenness, and still he loves you, when you know that he knows everything there is to know about you, even the hidden things, and he still adores you, when you know that, what can man's applause add to that? When we know who we are, Jesus knew who he was. Do you know who you are? Do you know that you are the apple of his eye? Do you know that he's fully devoted in loving you? When you accept the eternal love from an eternal God, then all of a sudden the applause of people becomes pretty dimmed. The likes, the invitations, they don't matter as much. Sometimes we're in this culture, cultural mindset where we feel if I didn't get invited, like I'm not valuable, I'm not important. I think I'm at the point in my life where I'm like, please don't invite me. <laughs> I don't want to go <laughs> to anything. <laughs> what will man's applause add to your life? when you have a loving savior who was willing to deny himself over and over again and take steps towards 
beatings and a cross and a crown of thorns to be in relationship with you, the very same God who was there when it was said, let there be light, longs to walk with you and with me. Is this loving relationship enough for us? Is it enough? You know, I, I think about the enemy offering Jesus this power of kingdom, saying the kingdoms are yours. Jesus had come to suffer for sinners and Satan was suggesting that he avoid suffering. Why do we think that suffering is not connected to our faith? Why have we come to believe that hardship comes from the devil? I mean, Jesus didn't model a glorious lifestyle, people. The savior that we're following went to a cross. And so Jesus comes to die and suffer for sinners and Satan's plan is like, let's make it easy. Have you ever been offered the easy way out from a situation that seemed too hard? Okay, can I just tell you that, um, oh, we can expect that our walk with Christ will not be without challenges. If you can just already in your mind understand, in this world, I am going to go through hard things. And it doesn't mean that God isn't with me. In this world, I will have the opportunity to make choices that could really destroy my life. And, and I'm grateful that God is willing to walk with me, to, to sustain me, to, to comfort me, to, to help me see things that I'm not seeing. I mean, when we understand that, when we understand that it's not going to be easy, following Jesus is not going to, it's so good though. I will tell you this, it is a beautiful life that we live as we follow Christ. I I'm grateful for the times that he has identified the lures in my life that could have destroyed my children's life, my life, my marriage. I am grateful that I, I, I walk with a God who, who says, Noemi, look beyond the shiny. Look beyond your own need, Noemi. Noemi, look beyond the applause, the high fives, the likes, and the welcomes from others. Look beyond it, Noemi. And I love that God would, would be willing to preserve us despite us. And Jesus shows us that so beautifully and so powerfully. He's saying, I, I love John chapter 16, verse 33. It just, it simply says, I have told you these things before that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He's saying, you, you're going to go through some stuff. You're going to go through moments where you're going to say, you know what? I'm tired of doing things the way that God is inviting me to do them. It's painful. It's hard. It's exhausting. God, you're taking too long to answer, I will take matters into my own hands. I am grateful that he says, take heart. I am grateful that he doesn't simply say, too bad. He says, no, I have overcome the world. And if he has overcome, if he has overcome death, if the savior that I am following walked towards a cross out of love for me, but out of that same love rose on the third day, then there is hope no matter what I am facing because there is a resurrection. 
And if there's a resurrection, it means I'm not doing this on my own. There's a God who is faithfully walking with me, whose threat is not death because he overcame death, whose threat is not my own personal death and my own darkness because he overcame that by the blood that he shed on Calvary, the power and the covenant that he created with us. We will face the question in our lives and ask ourselves in the seasons where we feel weak, Lord, are you enough? Are you enough for me? Or am I looking for the opportunity to bring glory and power to myself? Psalm 119, the Amplified Version says, verses 10 through 12, with all my heart I have sought you, inquiring of you and longing for you. Do not let me wander from your commandments, neither through ignorance nor by willful disobedience. Your word have I treasured and stored in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed and reverently praised are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. You know, the word of God treasured in our lives We're not going to make good decisions simply because it's a good decision. We're going to make the choices that are honoring to God because his word is going to be a lamp unto our feet and a lighter to our path. The way we're going to do this is by actually loving God's word. Jesus didn't simply come against the enemy by saying anything flippant. What he said had power. There is power in the word of God. And I think that in a generation where we get so many quotes regularly from really brilliant people, and I appreciate those quotes, and I understand that many of those quotes are rooted in God's word, but let me tell you this. The Word of God is not just something that, that is, oh, it, it, it's, it's such a beautiful thing and we reverence it. You know, I grew up in the Latino household and I don't know how many of you, I don't know if this is a custom anywhere else, but we, we would like, on our dining table, the one that we only eat at for Thanksgiving, we'd have like a Bible opened with like Psalm something or other. And it's like we reverence the Word of God. Um, Reverencing the word of God does not change your life unless you apply it to your life. And the word of God is alive. The word of God has the power to break the chains of our mindset, of our history of brokenness. The word of God has the power to breathe life and light into those areas that feel dead and dark. The word of God, Jesus, listen, it worked for Jesus. It might just work for us. It worked for Jesus. You know, a few weeks ago, I found myself in a conversation with um, one of the parents from our youth group. And man, when the enemy finds the most unique ways to tempt us, because the way that he will tempt us is find a way to take control of your life's narrative and do whatever you have to do to make your life good. And this dad was sharing with me, because his son is coming off of um, some really strong drugs. He's a teenage boy. And, and he just had tears in his eyes and he said, you know, it, it was so much easier to be dad to a toddler. He said, it's so hard to be a father to a teenage boy. It's so easy for us to bite the lure of saying, I'm not gonna deal with you anymore. 
the temptation to block the pain of walking with the people God has entrusted us with? Come on, the temptation to exit the picture. The temptation to say, I'll let your mom deal with you. The temptation that says, the appetite for my life is to just be happy and to be free and you're exhausting me. The temptation to say, you don't even listen to what I say, so I'm not even getting the applause from you from all the good advice I give you. Do you realize that when you're parenting teenagers, there's no applause for anything you have to say? The temptation to say, I don't have the power to change you or to make you submit to my will, so I'm gonna exit this situation. The temptation exists not only in relationship with our kids, it happens in our relationship with our spouse, it happens in our relationship with our parents, it happens in the most meaningful relationships that God has trusted us with, and it's so easy for us to self-satisfy, to use our power to relieve ourselves of a situation that feels like it's too much. So easy to parent a toddler, so hard to be a father to a teenager. What is God asking you that it's hard to do, that Satan is putting lures in front of you saying, exiting is the easiest thing to do. Your life is important. Your dreams matter. What you long for is so valuable and you need to give yourself your place. Do you realize that the scripture says that as we follow Jesus, our life is no longer our own. I don't know what savior we thought we were following. Our life no longer belongs to us. And so many times we find ourselves biting into the lure and the lie of the enemy. And God is standing before us and he's saying, am I enough? Am I enough for you? What does the lure look like for you? Is it a corner office on the 20th floor of a building that gives you so much power and opportunity, but it's taking you away from the history and the story of your family? And you're like, oh, but this is gonna set them up. It's gonna set up our future. And then your kids grow up without a mom or a dad in the picture because you're setting them up. And the enemy has helped you to make that lure worthy of biting into. I have no problems with ambition. I've actually had to struggle with ambition. So I don't have no condemnation for people who have ambition, I just have warnings. <laughs> because I know what the cost looks like. What is the enemy dangling in front of you that you are finding excuses to say, it's worthy of me doing this, and deep down inside, the spirit of the living God, the word of God is resounding in your heart and saying, red alert. Open your eyes. Am I enough? One of my mentors says it beautifully. She says, how often do we dance with Jesus and are constantly looking over his shoulder to find something better. Is there anything better? Temptation is not just about our brokenness and our sin patterns. Is God enough? Is he enough? Is what I have enough? Can I trust him? Do I know that he's trustworthy? To wrap up, I wanna read the scripture to, with you for you, um, 
because I feel like there's so much answer in this for us to remember. If we love God's word and we love him. Luke chapter 10, verse 27 says, and he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Loving God with all of that we are, it will help us when we put our heart, when we put our soul, when we put our strength and our mind in the game with God and we're like, God, I'm here for all of it, Jesus. I'm here for it. Whether it satisfies every one of my cravings and needs, whether I get the applause, where I get invited into the rooms, whether I get to be a part of that board, whether I get to, whether I get to be in the position of power, God, it doesn't matter. I'm here for all of it with you, God. What does it look like? What's my story? What's my legacy? What will my children say of me? What will my coworkers say of me? What will my neighbors, what my parents, what my nieces and nephews, what will be said of me? In the grand scheme of things, I. I wonder if we are all invited to God's story that as we live our lives outside of the four walls of this building, that what shines most is not our abilities and our giftings, but what shines more is the goodness of God through us. Do we, are we gonna be known for being power hungry? Are we gonna be known for quitting when it's hard? Are we gonna be known for, um, I do things that make me feel good, don't get in my way. What will we be known for? Because that's not the savior we're called to serve and follow. When I love God with all my heart, my soul, my strength and my mind, I submit my temporary appetites to the eternal satisfaction that comes from union with God. When I love God with all my heart, my soul, and strength, and mind, I surrender the things that would bring me temporary glory and recognition because I already know that I am celebrated by my Heavenly Father. When I love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, I am grateful to trust Jesus because he is trustworthy because he has ultimate authority in my life. Would we be a people that when we find out and we understand what those lures look like, we say, God, I will choose to love you. I will choose to love you. Our witness increases when the world sees us turn down the opportunities to take things into our own hands, yet submit our heart and our will to God. People will know that we belong to a savior where we don't live a life that is constantly in pursuit of our own glory, but we are seeking the glory and the goodness and the faithfulness of our God who is trustworthy. You can trust this God who didn't give up the cross when he was offered the kingdoms of the earth. He is worthy of your trust. You can follow him. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Your word says that when we are faithless, you remain faithful. That, that is the kind of God you are. And in that faithful love, you are worthy of our deep devotion to you, Jesus. God, I don't know what my brothers and sisters may be struggling with, 
whether it's the temptation of appetite, the temptation of applause, or the temptation for power. But I do know, Lord, that you are an ever-present, ever-loving Father who invites us to a journey of sacrifice, of surrender, and of trust. Lord, that we would be a people who lovingly lean into your presence, who don't simply perform for you, God, who don't simply take acts or decisions based on what others would say, but that our obedience flows from a deep reverence and a love for you and for your word, that it would change us, transform us into the people you've called us to be. I thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, on that holy week, as Jesus was getting ready to face the cross, it was the week before and it's Passover. In Mark chapter 14, it's a great story. But I love the fact that in Mark chapter 14, Jesus, the disciples say, teacher, where will we have Passover? Where shall we have the meal for you prepared? And he basically says, there's this person you're gonna see on the road holding like this vase of water and you're gonna follow them and when you get to the house that they go into, you're gonna ask the master of the house, where's the room for the teacher and his disciples to hold Passover? And the owner of this house says, in the upper room, there's an entire grand space that has already been prepared. I love that the disciples come back to Jesus with the news that there's somebody who has already prepared a space for Christ to have Passover in. How beautiful it is to be a people who are participants with God, who make room for him in the times that might even seem inconvenient for others because I'm sure this man was preparing Passover for his family but there was already room in the upper room, probably the most beautiful room with the most beautiful scenes of the city. A man of means as well prepares a space for a time of Passover, for the time that would begin to set things in motion for him to go to the cross. Is there a room in your life, constant room available for God to interrupt your existence, where he is utterly welcomed and it's not an inconvenience, takes us into this space as we prepare for communion. So in a moment, we'll continue with worship by celebrating this communion and you'll be released in rows to receive the wine in the clear cups um, and the juice in the purple cups. After everyone has received the bread and the cup, and return to their seats, we will start to partake together. Friends, this is the Lord's table. You are all welcome. All you simply needed to do was receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and say, I follow the Lord, I follow the Savior. There's room at this table for you. God bless you, Grace. It's been wonderful to be with you. Stand together.
lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven